0: You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Hey, everyone. This is Krista Bontrager, and I'm here once again with my co-host from All the Things, Monique Dusan. Hey. And uh, we're going to be continuing our conversations related to critical race theory and the church. Yeah. And I think this is a good time just to always restate that... We're not putting forth, uh, ourselves as being like, here's the world experts on critical race theory.
1: Not (laughs) at all. Not experts, but definitely concerned.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're just a couple of Christian gals trying to, uh, ask some questions and look at what's happening and make some observations based on my expertise in theology and Monique's expertise in the realm of sociology and social work.
1: Yeah, And I also think that, um, For me, it's definitely looking to be a different voice in the chaos um, between critical race theory and let's not talk about race at all. I'm afraid. I'm scared. Um, Race is bad. Everybody's colorblind. We're all the same. That's right. So there has to be a different way. And I think that if Christians would open the space up for the other way, people might really jump on board. So I think that brings up another very important point is that we're
0: not saying that we have that third way nailed down. We're just kind of trying to find our way. And like you said, open up that space for Christians to um, begin to explore these issues. But my hope, my dream is that Christians would start to show leadership in this area, that we don't need to borrow from the world's paradigm. The Bible has a lot to say about um racial unity and you know let's dig into that let's yeah. think about
1: that and i think part of the beauty of what we're doing is that we don't have it all nailed down yet we're not saying i am the expert in this we're saying hey ding 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 red flag this doesn't look like jesus yeah this doesn't look like historic christianity um and you know let's together figure out a way that does um we have done a good amount of, of work in this. yeah. And so I think we can say, hey, for those of you who haven't done any work at all, these are some of the, the markers and the pavers that we've laid down in place. These are um, just starting points. Yeah. So we would love it if people would walk with us. Mm, you know, we can carry this road together. That'd be great. So what we're going to do today is kind of
0: wrap up the conversation that we had about the Sparrow Conference and we had three episodes with, where we looked at the interview there at the Sparrow Conference with Akemeni Uwan. And in the days after that, she posted a blog post, kind of, there was a lot of fallout from that interview. And so we're going to kind of walk through this blog post because I think it it really helps to highlight, again, some of the key features of what we see happening in the church as critical race theory is coming in. And again, I want to restate that we see Akemeni as a sister of the Lord. We're just asking some questions. This isn't about condemning her or calling her out or anything like that. We're just, we, I think, share a lot of beliefs in common with her. Um, But there's some points of departure or some points that we just are trying to ask some different questions about. Yeah, I agree. All right, so let's go to the blog post, and this was dated April 7th of 2019, so just a few days after the um, events at the Sparrow Conference, and the title of the blog post is The Blood of Jesus is the Bridge, Not My Back, and it took me a while to understand what the title meant, but I I, I think I have it now, is that she's saying Jesus is the bridge for Reconciliation, reconciliation, um, not her. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't quite understand the title at first, but I think I get it now. So she says, thanks. Thank you to everyone who rallied around me after the fallout from the Sparrow Conference. I've been overwhelmed by the love and support all, all across racial lines. I'm Truly stunned by the way you all mobilized on my behalf. I witnessed God fight my battle through so many of you. It was a true multi-ethnic coalition and only God can do that. There are so many of you who called, texted, tweeted, DM'd, Facebook messaged and prayed for me. I thank you all very much. And then she goes on to highlight a couple of people and um, someone who transcribed the interview, because what had happened was that after the interview, the video was actually taken down mm-hmm. off the Sparrow Conference website. Yes. And there was a gal who wrote up a transcript early on of what had happened in the interview. And for a while, that was the only public record mm-hmm. that there was of what had happened. So um, I want to thank D.D. Uh, Rowe, a black woman who wrote about her experience at the Sparrow Conference, her observations as an attendee. She also recorded my entire segment and uploaded it to YouTube before uh, Sparrow pulled the video down and she wanted to thank her attorney who was able to get the video back along with her photos. So now the video is hosted on a YouTube channel. Yes. So um, so she had she's just saying, you know, I have all of the media assets in my possession now and um, all of that. OK, we'll go to the next page. So she says, I'm going to share a bit of my experiences. I, I don't want to rehash the whole thing. Uh, when I arrived at the venue, I was greeted warmly by the Sparrow staff. The interviewer and I took about 30 minutes to review the questions again, go over the logistics. We went up on stage, and she asked me questions. The interview went well, in my view. I could tell the mood in the the mood of the room started to shift as we got into the interview. But that's not something I'm unaccustomed to, as one who is an anti-racist truth teller about. 10 women got up and left as I spoke again. That's not nothing, that's not new. To a room full of white women, predominantly, I told the truth about wicked, the wickedness of whiteness, which is a central pillar of the racial caste system, the need to divest from it, and their need to reclaim and embrace their God given ethnicity. I preached the gospel. I told them there is grace and that the blood covers. I gave them practical solutions and book recommendations. I was satisfied with how the interview went because it was full of truth, the gospel, love, and grace. To my surprise, when I walked off the stage, the Sparrow staff turned cold and did not speak to me with the exception of Elizabeth, who interviewed me and stayed in touch with me after the conference. So let's stop there a minute and just notice, I think in that paragraph, she used the word truth three times that she sees herself as an anti-racist truth teller. The term anti-racism is a very technical term for those in the critical race theory crowd. I mean, we, th- we th- all, most white people think I'm not racist. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm an anti-racist. I can put that term onto me, but this is a very technical term so i think it's very important that we understand how she's using this this term this is not about as you alluded to personal racist actions it can include that it can can include that okay
1: that like you know i'm against people wearing white sheets and burning crosses in my yard that's you know that's an act of racism Bigger than that, what she's addressing are systems that are in place that would promote um, whiteness, so to speak. It would promote structures where whites are on top, where whites don't experience the same jail sentences as people of color, where whites um, would earn more or things like that. Like structures that continually promote A white person over a person of color.
0: Okay. So when she says anti-racist, that has a connection also to this idea of whiteness. Yes. Which is something else she mentioned in the blog post. And again, these are very technical terms, I think. And we've gone over these in the previous videos, so we won't revisit that. But just suffice it to say that whiteness, for the most part, is referring to a culture. Yes. It includes skin color, but it's also more than that. It's, yes. it's, it's a cultural mindset and cultural structures and systems. Mm-hmm. And so when she's saying that she was revealing the uh, or exposing the wickedness of whiteness, that's what she's talking about. But I think that it's important to come back to this word truth because she's setting herself up as kind of the the person who's dispensing the truth.
1: Yes. And so everything that she's saying is true. Just putting out, it out there. Yeah, just, I am the truth teller. So I have the truth. Everything that I'm saying is true.
0: And so the opposite of that is that if you disagree with her, you are against truth. I am against truth. And you are racist. And I am racist. So the setup is as if, if I agree with her, then I'm agreeing with the truth. I'm even agreeing with the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I disagree with her, if I disagree, I think I could safely say with critical race theory.
1: You are against Jesus. Basically. I am against Jesus. Yes, you are against the gospel, the like the foundations of the gospel. Because in critical race theory terms, the gospel is this a social justice. It is that... Christ came for the poor and the oppressed and the the things that would operate against those against like the poor or the oppressed are operating directly against Jesus. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And I think that that is a very important point for people to understand because as critical race theory is coming into the church, it's being set up as if it's synonymous with the gospel itself. So then, if you disagree with these ideas and these terms, even um, that are completely foreign to the Bible, things like whiteness or anti-racism or even racism, you're 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 on the wrong side of history. You're on the wrong side of the conversation, and so the setup becomes: you're on the wrong side of the Bible. You're on the wrong side of Jesus, mm-hmm. and that puts a lot of people in a very. Um, difficult space because like, whoa, I don't, I, I believe in the gospel. I don't, I'm not against Jesus and, and I want to be for people of color. I don't, I'm, I, I don't want to be against them. So the setup, the I feel like the psychological setup from the beginning is in order for me to be on the right side of the conversation and on the side of Jesus and the gospel, I need to embrace critical race theory. Now,
1: to me, it sets up a new gospel and the gospel that used to be Christ and him crucified is now Christ and him crucified Plus. and you divesting of your whiteness Christ and him crucified and equality for all people
0: but i think to add to that equality within the the larger system of critical theory backing it out one step cuz Critical race theory is sort of a subset of critical theory. Mm-hmm. When you go back to the critical theory, it's like kind of the parent issue. Then e- the word equality comes with its own set of yes. baggage and definitions. And then you get into the whole LGBTQ conversation and that vision of equality. You get into feminist thought and that vision of equality. And all of these, these kind of are three legs of a stool of critical theory. There's, there's the LGBT aspect, there's the feminist aspect, and, and there's a critical race theory aspect. And they all are using these very, very specific definitions. Okay, let's go back to the blog post.
1: As the conference went on, I noticed that all of the Sparrow social media accounts had pictures and quotes posted from every plenary speaker except for me. I had been systematically and intentionally erased. I was nowhere to be found on the Sparrow IG story as well. This is what it looks like. I was used in the promo material to fill seats because of my name and the work I've done on Truth's Table. But when I did the very thing that brings the crowd, I was erased and silenced. I kind of agree with her. I don't know where the mistake happened at Sparrow or who wasn't on top of their game, like to really look and do the research behind what she believes and what she would say, but she's not quiet in her thoughts. She isn't hidden. So I'm not sure why either side, my best guess is that either Sparrow didn't think that it would be a problem or they just didn't think that she would say what she is known for saying.
0: Yeah. I think a little later in the post, she actually alludes to that. Like I haven't done these things in secret. Like yeah. I have a podcast and, yeah. and you could go on my website. You could see what I'm, what I'm about and what I believe. I almost wonder, uh, and I just want to give everybody involved the benefit of the doubt. I mean, cause I don't know what their contractual arrangement was or you know, any of that. I don't know anything about the motivations of the Sparrow organizers, but I've wondered as a speculation um, whether the Sparrow organizers who may have been, a lot of them had, might have been white from what I can tell, didn't really understand critical race theory. And so they invited her to come not really understanding completely the point of view
1: from which she comes from, even though she's put it out there. And that's what I'm saying. Like they didn't do their research. They
0: maybe just didn't, they didn't understand kind of the finer points of this, of this discussion. And they thought, well, let's put on a, a racial reconciliation conference. Who are the big names? Let's get the big names here. I mean, I've been on conference Mm -hmm. committees. I know how those, those conversations go. Yeah. And, but if you don't vet people like really carefully, sometimes you invite people and, you're not fully aware mm-hmm. of what their positions are. Yeah. So I don't know what happened there, but, you know, that's that seems plausible to me. Yeah.
1: And what's unfortunate is that people were injured on both sides. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think that that was fun for her. Yeah. You know, and I don't think that it was fun for the people in the audience. I don't think it was fun for the organizers all the way around. Yeah. So. Yeah. OK, let's go back to the post. The blood of Jesus is the bridge, not my back. I am an anti-racist public theologian. At minimum, what it means to be an anti-racist is to shine the light of truth on the darkness of racism. To be an anti-racist requires that I enter racist spaces, even when those spa- even when those in the space are unaware of their racism and the ways they participate in racist systems. I hold up a mirror, make people face the racist reflection, staring back at them, and I give them hope found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Audiences must be prepared for the ugly truth about racism in this country. My ministry is not in secret. I have been doing this for a few years now. Through the podcast I co-host called Truth's Table, which has been around for two years, my writing My tweets and my lectures all on my website. Anyone remotely familiar with my ministry should not have been shocked by what I said in that interview. My pinned tweet on Twitter is about reparations. I don't play patty cake with white supremacy. We are under a regime. It is not a game. My people are dying. Black churches are burning. I just want to highlight again
0: her position of she's the one who's bringing the truth. Yeah. She's the one who's coming into these racist spaces, which I assume she means audiences or places where the majority of the people are white.
1: Yes. And people who have not, as she talked about in one of the videos that we did, um, people who are not through their pre-encounter phase or they are not awakened, they're not woke. They don't understand exactly how their white skin participates in a bigger system. Okay. Okay. So that's what she means by coming into a racist space. A racist space will be a white space. Okay. Yes. My understanding
0: of this is that she sees herself almost like a prophet, that she's coming in and speaking the truth as ugly and uncomfortable that it might make people feel, that she's there to dispense the truth and bring the gospel as a solution. hmm
1: Where it becomes convoluted is that, yes, there are issues in America's systems. What I can appreciate about critical race theory and about critical theory in general is that it does ask these questions and it does begin to ruffle the dust so that we can see, oh, look, there's something here. It's that you, because you're white, automatically are racist, are automatically a part of this system are automatically unaware of just how much you're participating in it, that you automatically are now an oppressor. I don't agree with the titles and terms that it then gives other people, especially those in the body of Christ. If Christ does not call you my oppressor, who am I now to call you my oppressor? And that's what critical race theory says. It says that white people are oppressive that they participate in a system in which they are the oppressors. And I am by default now, the oppressed Christ does not call me to that. And as a matter of fact, he calls us to a new humanity and that we are brothers and sisters.
0: In fact, that brings me back to second Corinthians five, which we talked about earlier in a previous video, how we have been given the ministry of reconciliation and that we are ministers of reconciliation In fact, in verse 16, it says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly or, in other translations, this is fleshly point of view. Though we were once regarded, we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here.
1: See, and that is exactly my point. Like, if the world wants to adopt these terms and ideologies by all means go right ahead but in christ we are a new creation in christ we do not regard one another in this way in in the church this there's no place for this in the church and in fact later in that same letter
0: paul says in chapter 10 that part of the job of the christian is to demolish strongholds of thought Mm -hmm. that we are not to adopt worldly ways of thinking. And I think that that is a powerful metaphor for what we need to do when it comes to these ideas coming into the church. We can't just bring them in and let them sink into our thinking and permeate our thinking and our way of being and our reorganizing how we do church and how we do ministry and how we do missions without stopping and wondering like, okay, what are the the strongholds I need to demolish here? You know, what is a distinctly Christian way of thinking? And when it comes to relationships in the body, we are a new creation. And, and we are not to judge each other and regard each other from a worldly way of thinking anymore.
1: I agree. And I also don't think that that means that we deny, you know, what the dust or the questions that CRT poses but we don't regard each other the way that the world regards each other
0: in a divisive way yeah yeah
1: that that's not
0: our fundamental assumption is that of unity yeah as christians now where do we go from there
1: yes how do we as a body say, okay, I know that this might be impacting you. How do we walk together in that? The church is where we find our refuge. It's in Christ where we have our hope. And I don't see hope in critical race theory. If you are my oppressor, I do not feel hopeful sitting right next to you.
0: Yeah. And if I am your oppressor, I don't feel very hopeful about having a close relationship with you Yeah, because I don't see any redemption or any way out of my situation. Okay. Let's go back to the post. Racism is not eradicated by surface conversations, empty platitudes, and hollow lament that provides catharsis instead of actual transformation. I don't go to conferences to make white people feel good, and I don't go there to make them feel bad either. I go there to affirm the black people and non-black people of color to speak truth—there's that word again—to the white people and give them a way forward through the gospel— Those who have ears to receive will receive, and those that don't, won't. That comes by way of the Holy Spirit, not me. The blood of Jesus is the bridge, not my back.
1: Now, if I was still in the world, I would say I call BS on this. First of all, I will say I agree. Racism is not eradicated by surface conversations, empty platitudes, and hollow lament that provide catharsis instead of actual transformation. I believe that that is I, true, not just for racism, but for anything. I, I actually want change? Yeah, yeah, I agree I, with that. I actually agree with yes. that. Yeah. I don't go to conferences to make white people feel good. Yeah. Okay. And I don't go there to make them feel bad either. Well then what are we doing? I don't understand. I don't, if if you're not going there to make them feel good and you're not going there to make them feel, are you, what are you leaving them with? Like Christ is our hope. And if we don't have hope in him, like, I don't understand what, what is the point then? And she says, I go there to affirm black people and non-black people of color to speak truth to white people. So first of all, to me, when I read this, the assumption is that as a black person, I don't need that truth. So I must already have that truth. That's kind of where it is, but it's the white people in the equation that 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 don't don't have the truth. Yeah. And that it is the black people that need affirmation. But so I'm stuck. I'm stuck on the I don't go there to make them feel bad or good. What, What are you doing? What is happening? What are we and not because you're white, but how are we treating other brothers and sisters in the Lord? I should I should go there to affirm you. Colossians 316 says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So we affirm our black and non-black people of color who are in Christ, but we won't do that for our white brothers and sisters. We were only open to giving admonishment to our white brothers and sisters. However, that to me, that means that black people can't participate in racism, which is a whole nother view of critical race theory that I don't even have time to get into. But it would say that people of color are not able to be racist. There's a. A thought that. Whites need to be admonished and blacks affirmed. That's not how Christ treats us.
0: I guess that brings me to a point that concerns me in all of this is all the labeling. That there's there's a lot of labels being thrown around. And well, aside from black and white, can you be more specific? Well, racist, mm-hmm. anti racist, mm-hmm. whiteness. Mm-hmm. These are not all positive labels.
1: Whiteness is not a positive it's label not a posi- at all.
0: It's, it's a wicked label. It's a label of wickedness. Yes. And she and, defines it
1: as wicked. Yes. And so I guess
0: what what is concerning to me is from the perspective, for example, in the book of James, where it talks about all humans are created in the image of God and that, that we should be careful in our speech of how we talk about one another and that we not use the same lips to worship and praise the lord that we use to denigrate and pull someone else down how does it lift me up or honor me as a fellow member in the body of christ with these labels that are being put on me as a white person that are fairly derogatory and, and negative and demeaning. And it, it's hard to to think about, like, um, how, what love looks like in that situation.
1: I think that from a critical race standpoint, people would say that they're just telling the truth. That certainly seems to be what mm-hmm. she's saying in the post. They're just telling the truth. And so not, it's not necessarily that they are calling you a racist, but saying that by virtue of your skin, you participate in racist structures. Now, take that a step further. Your questioning of the labels or saying that this hurts me or I don't know that I can agree with that, that hasn't been true for me would then lead us into something called white fragility. Right. Or white tears. Well, oh, yes. White it, white tears come out of white fragility. Yeah. And that's just the But that's just more labeling. It's it like is lab- It is, but let me for those who don't know what white fragility right. is, let me go ahead and explain a little bit. White fragility would say that white people have an extremely hard time talking about race and they are extremely fragile around the conversation, usually ending up in tears. White tears because they're shed by white people. There's that. Um, I think, I do think that white people have a hard time talking about race. It is. It's ugly. It is. The history in America of race is just ugly and it tends to come up in ways that are not very uplifting. And, I think that people of color have, have some responsibility in owning exactly how we have our conversations so that whites don't feel like, well, I just need to be colorblind. You know what? I've had enough of this conversation. I cannot do anymore. Everybody colorblind because, trust me, I am brown. If you can't <laughs> see that I'm brown, that this melanin right here is lovely, then we have a problem. But we, I don't know that we are aware of how we present the conversations of race.
0: I just feel like there has to be responsibility that's sh- um, that shared, mm-hmm. you know, and that whites are trying to be brave sometimes, but then they're, they're just overwhelmed with the labels that just seems so negative and derogatory that it feels like there's no way out of this. And so then the overreaction or the, the counter reaction is, okay, I'm not going to talk about race. Yes. But then people of color get upset and they're like, see? You don't want to talk about race. Oh, look and- at you doing that little tongue <laughs> clicking and everything. You really feeling it, huh? But Man, that's not- what ha- that's what happens. And and then you get in this this spiral of see, this is why we can't talk about race. And and it, there isn't a commitment to hey, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. We have an obligation to each other to figure this out of, of how that we're going to have this conversation in a civil, sane,
1: respectful, gentle way. This is a whole nother video called, why is it so hard to talk about race? And I would love to do that right after we finish this video, actually. Okay. Because you just put a whole bunch of good points in. I just don't know that it fits with this part. Okay. So let's pick it up right there. Let's go back to the bog. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are required to tell the truth about ourselves to God. This, the truth about ourselves That we are sinners who have sinned against God in thoughts, words, and deeds. The only way we are able to confess that is by grace. And when we confess that sin, we become children of God, no longer enemies. We have peace with God, but that peace only comes after we confess the truth that we are sinners in need of grace. And that the blood of Jesus covers us and unites us one to another because we are reconciled back to God. So now we can be reconciled to one another. That's a great I agree. Summary of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like I totally agree with all of
0: that. Yep. All right. Now let's go to however.
1: However, which some would say is like a, but and kind of negates everything else, but I'm not even going to go yeah. there. Um, Truth always precedes reconciliation. My personhood is not the bridge. My blackness is not the bridge. My gender is not the bridge. The blood of Jesus is the bridge, which, which is made possible by grace through faith in his finished work.
0: Okay, I have to tell you, honestly, I have no idea what she's saying
1: there. Do you have any insight about that? I can guess okay. that Jesus being the truth needed to come in order for us to be reconciled back okay. to God.
0: Okay, that seems plausible.
1: So that, that would be my best
0: guess. The bridge of reconciliation is not her race, her gender, her personhood. It's the blood of Jesus. Okay, mm-hmm. I could buy that. Yeah.
1: It's kind of like we say... um CRT in the church is like Jesus plus something else. So where it says that this is the truth about us, we're all sinners and we've all sinned against God and we all need his grace. We all have to confess. Yes. Now the however is like the and. Because now I feel like she's introducing some other
0: feature of the gospel which is racial reconciliation? That that's what this pathway is, but well, maybe I'm wrong. It's the I'm truth. Wrong.
1: The truth always precedes reconciliation, and there I don't know that that truth is the truth of the work of salvation. More so as it is the truth of the CRT thought process. Yeah, the the truth that whiteness is wicked. You can't be reconciled. The truth that whiteness is wicked precedes reconciliation.
0: Okay. All right. Let's, let's keep going and see maybe if she unpacks this a little yeah. bit more. I'm not perfect in my work, but I prayerfully employ discernment and pursue wisdom, precision, and fidelity, knowing that calling out well-guarded idols can produce protective, defensive, and blatantly hostile responses. My prophetic ministry, oh, she even uses that word about Uh herself that I used earlier, at its best is fueled by agopic love. In that spirit of love, the most excellent way to my black sisters, you should really be reading this, who are experiencing secondary trauma as a result of the countless ways I was mistreated. I want to say thank you for your love. You have all rallied around me. Now we're sort of changing topics. We're going back to what, happened to her um, at the Sparrow conference. Uh, You rallied around me in remarkable ways and I'm speechless. Please take care of yourselves. I can tell this whole ordeal has taken its toll on you too. Some of you are with child and under huge amounts of stress as it is. Please don't let white supremacy take you out. Step away from social media and breathe. That's always good advice. Uh, God's got us this. I know cast your cares on him because he cares for you. I'm taking my own advice and stepping away as well.
1: As someone who has experienced PTSD and understands trauma and things like that. And I worked not, with trauma victims. I've worked with trauma victims. I've worked with children who've experienced trauma. I myself have experienced trauma. There are certain criteria for, for trauma. Like, let's just be clear. And even though everyone's own environment Everyone experiences their own environment in their own way. To say that I am now experiencing trauma because of something that I saw on social media or because of the way that you might have been treated at a conference really stretches the the, the span for me. No one's life was threatened. even though CRT and Ms. Iwan hold to the view that white spaces are evil and wicked and... Um, that her life, I have heard her say before, um, in another, I think another podcast that whenever she steps into a white space, her life is on the line and things like that. No, because truly the survival in you, the survivalist part of how God has created us wouldn't, we would just not do it. Like if your child isn't in there, if it's not a burning thing, a burning building, and you're trying to go and rescue a loved one, you're going to, you're not just going to go, let me just go in here so I can tell them about their racist, behaviors and experience this trauma i just i don't buy it sorry and to say that everyone has now experienced secondary trauma and some of you are with child i just I'm, i call bs and that might not be the most christian way to say it but i i really get like a bug under my skin when i hear people say oh my gosh i saw you know this flag and it gave me a trauma episode no no you might have become upset you might have some strong emotions that's okay but are you truly experiencing the technical definition of trauma i doubt it
0: but there is this narrative that i see um on social media with people that are, advocate for critical race theory that they get there's a there's a trauma theme in in the conversations that when they talk to white people it's traumatic for them if they See the American flag. It's 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 a trauma for them that, that they that is a, a theme of some of these people who are in that stream of thought.
1: Which leads me to believe, which is not even for this video, but that soon clinically you'll see a change in the definition of what trauma is. Mm-hmm. Because these
0: advocates will start clamoring for yeah a, a, a kind of a loosening of the definition. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So one more point here in just wrapping this up is this coming back to Ewan's, um repeated assertion that she's just bringing the truth. But at the same time, she says that she's doing everything in love. And I really want to kind of talk about that for a minute because it's one thing to tell someone, I'm just telling you this in love. But if the person doesn't actually feel invited into a conversation if they're actually not experiencing some kind of love on some level, it's really hard to take that seriously. You cannot just tell a group of people that you're telling them the truth and love if they're not actually experiencing the love. Yeah. And I just have to say that as a white person and and people can discount it, they can call me whatever names, but I sincerely want to engage in racial conversations in the church. I want to have sincere and meaningful conversations about racial unity, but that interview at the Sparrow conference was not an invitation. It wasn't an opening in any sense of the word for me to come. Let's talk about this. We're going to have a hard conversation, but let's all be in it together. And at the end, we're going to affirm who we are in Christ as a new creation.
1: Well, I would even thread it out beyond the spiral Conference. I think the Sparrow Conference is a microcosm of the bigger conversation that's really happening in a lot of churches that are upholding CRT views. I don't know that those conversations, even though people are saying, well, You know, I'm just doing this in love. I'm just telling you the truth in love that the love is really being felt. Yeah. And. Yeah. So I I just I I look at this like a microcosm of, you know, what's happening on the larger scenes. Yeah. Okay, let's continue. As of today, I received a sincere apology from Rachel Joy, the director of Sparrow. She apologized for the specific ways she caused harm, and she took ownership as the leader and on behalf of the organization. She asked for forgiveness, and I'm asking God to give me the grace to forgive her quickly. I know God will do that. He is faithful. We all need grace. No one is beyond redemption. There are ways that she can repair the harm done. And I asked her to take time to think and pray about what that will look like. As I said earlier, their lawyer released the video and photos to me. I will post the video on my Instagram below the clips. I'm sorry, on my Instagram bio, the clips on my Instagram page and the full video link will be in the Twitter thread below this letter. I'm taking a week-long break from social media to rest, recoup, and recharge from this unfortunate event. I ask that you all pray for me and also pray for Rachel and the Sparrow organization as the leaders have a lot of internal work to do personally and as an organization.
0: What I notice in with a lot of CRT advocates is that the work that needs to be done is the work by the white people. And that she's asking basically for them to come up with some sort of steps I guess to understand the depth of what they've done and how bad it was and I think it's interesting that she's really presenting critical race theory as almost like a worldview that it has worldview properties to it and that we have to think about it as a worldview framework I mean The greatest sin in the, in the framework is that is the issue of whiteness. It's, it's racism. The way of redemption is to go through this pre-encounter stage and to, to become woke. And then you live it out. Your, your, your trajectory of holiness, if you will, your sanctification is that you are converting others. You're, you're engaging in public advocacy. You're speaking out. On, on anti-racist issues you're, and you're trying to convert others to this position. It, it functions in many regards as a worldview. My question for that framework, as it would be for any worldview, is how would you go about falsifying it? What would be the test that we would put forward that would actually potentially or at least theoretically disprove the framework? Because you can't just set something up um, as a truth. That's just an assertion that must be proven. But we have to, at some point, come in and say, okay, that's an assertion that has to be proven. How do I prove it? Mm -hmm. And one of the critical ways of proving something to be true involves potentially falsifying it, putting forth tests where something could be proven wrong. Well, I think we'll leave it right there for now. And we love everyone's comments. Thanks for telling us how the videos are helping you. Uh, Send us your feedback if you haven't yet. Uh, You can email us at ATDLivestream at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Yeah, and make sure to watch us on All the Things every Saturday night at 6 p.m. Pacific and 9 p.m. Eastern. That's right. We'll see you soon. God bless.